So uh, tonight I'd like to talk about space, the final frontier. <laughs> Do you hear the Star Trek theme? I have to uh, admit to being a Star Trek fan. But I think the exploration of space is um, uh, integral to what we're doing here. In fact, one of the reasons that I ask for the level of maturity and practice for people to come, the three weeks, week uh, retreats or longer, three week or longer retreats, or in three years in this practice, is because uh, the exploration of space is risky. And some people, everyone would love to be, um, you know, would love to advance in their maturity long before they're mature to advance. Uh, everybody thinks that, you know, that we're, get, we're going to get the secret teachings. But really the teachings have to do with the maturity level. And whether we're mature enough to listen to them sufficiently to move into what is being, uh, where it's being pointed. And uh, that can't, there's a kind of way that we bake within the years of our practice that brings a resolution of those, of that maturity. So, even though I like to point to the immediacy of now, there is also the slow baking and seasoning that's required uh, within the practice that allows us um, the ripeness of being able to hear and listen and know what is being addressed. Because this question of space, which we will explore tonight, uh, really holds the key, I think, to much of what we are attempting to do here on this retreat. I mean, when you just give yourself space, you have room to look, don't you? You aren't being compelled or pushed or prodded. And that steadiness, that uh, willingness to partake within that space, to see what is there, uh, is uh, really the value of space. And I think that uh, even people who are not directly involved in wisdom practices have a sense of that space somehow can and could provide a sense of well-being and health. Often we seek vacations that afford a kind of space for us either the sense of vacation itself is a space, is a psychic space out of the entrapped way that we live. But more directly, I think we seek physical space. We go to the seashore. We go to the mountaintops. We take long hikes to reach the summits so that we can see, so that we have this sense of perspective, so that we have this, this lay of the land approach to living. And it's always awesome and appreciated, I think, uh, just having a step up from the uh, configuration of how our lives are usually held. I remember as a student, as a monk in Thailand, 
seeking out different locations because inwardly I felt the need for them. Somehow I knew that different environments would serve my practice at different times. And so there were times when, of course, I would practice in the forest because I lived in a forest monastery, loved the forest. But then I would be called to go practice uh, on the seashore. And there was a monastery there that I would go to and I would do my alms round along the shore to a little hamlet that was down the road a piece. <clears throat> just loved that sense of space as I was walking. Once I did a three-month stint in a cave that overlooked a, 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 um, a hilltop that uh, overlooked a valley in the ocean. And I would sit up there in the evenings outside the the, uh, the, the cave and just look out and see the, the lights and just the activity below me and the sp- sense of the expanse. <clears throat> and I was I honored that. I always honored where I was pulled to go because I always felt that, that there was a calling there. There was something that that environment would offer me that perhaps a more enclosed environment could not. And it's one of the ways that I'm investing in this particular retreat and trying to encourage you is to go into what it is that you feel you need. You know, there's a certain way that when we practice, uh, we practice from the beginning, most of us practice from a sense of dependency upon the teacher, uh, the way the teacher outlines the strategy of the practice, the direction of the practice, the technique and training of the practice. And um, most of us sort of hover around believing in the teacher's view that that we will also partake in the wisdom that we see or perceive the teacher has by doing what the teacher is suggesting. Um, But that, to be honest with you, is, is a kind of immature level of Dharma understanding. A ripening of one's own inward vision, uh, a sense of pull towards what one needs to do, needs to see where they need to be, who they need to work with, and within that frame of the retreat, what they need, how they need to work. Uh, it's not always the mechanics of sitting and walking that is the most valuable form and expression to take, uh, and you can get a feeling now. Um, Counter opposing that sense of alignment with oneself is the need to indulge, is that counterbalance that many of us have, which we are pulled to be lazy, to drink tea rather than to really show up for our life, to show up for this, even though we might be sitting overlooking uh, on the porch there, overlooking the road and the street leading up the cloud mountain here, we may uh, really be just daydreaming. Nobody knows. And so we can we can escape this hard. This willingness to show up for ourselves, this willingness to be present. uh, Any number of ways. But if that's how you want to spend your time, I'm I'm at this level of training, I'm not going to argue against that. If that's how you want to spend your life, kind of an in-between, in a, in a kind of purgatory between uh, your worldly pleasures, indulgence in your worldly pleasures and 
what is what the practice encourages us uh, in the in to, uh, the direction the practice encourages us. And I'm I'm not going to spend this retreat uh, trying to trying to argue against that. I think uh, I think that that's if you're doing that this late in the game, then it's probably too late for me to say anything really. Uh, but it does require. So what does it require? You see, I mean, we had a we had a session today led by Chris where she was leading relaxed, slow movement. And knowing Chris as I do, I'm sure that that was very well um, instructed. But that sense of relaxation, the willingness to create that inward space through the release of tension. And it's not really that complicated. It's whether we want to follow the dictates and conditioning and compelling nature of our lives in a linear fashion, which is where we're coming from, or whether we want to settle in, relax and abide within the luxury and appreciation and experiences that are here at hand. It's so easily stated and yet seems so difficult to um, encourage ourselves to do. But this practice is really the practice of creating that inward space through the release of tension, through that relaxed response, through the release of the psychic, uh, the psychic, uh, a psychic um, force that our thoughts have upon us. They thoughts seem so compelling. They seem so um, true that they they. Um, compel us to move forward in line with the dictates of where and what we must be doing and should be doing and have to do. And it seems so right from the perspective of thinking that we must follow the dictates of what that thought says or we're missing something that everyone else is doing it. We look around and everyone else, you can see this kind of channeled vision, this as if we're walking through life with blinders on. And we think, well, I mean, they're doing it, so I must, that must be the right way to live. Never realizing that we're missing everything in that. Where's the space? Where is the ability to see? Where is the ability to appreciate? For some who have difficulty finding their way out of thinking, which many of us do, I often uh, suggest that they allow themselves to be uh, tender and to be sensitive to what is being seen. So just, just be quiet in yourself and look and see what is outside of you, what's there. And let yourself be affected by that. Let yourself, in that relaxed relationship, let yourself be affected by what, you're be, what is being seen. And when we are affected, the heart is opening. There's a channel there in which life is feeding itself, in which life is living upon itself. And that channel of appreciation calls forth deeper relaxation because we can't find that channel through leaning or tension or the normal ways that we try to learn and uh, force something upon us. It really requires relationship, true relationship, true relationship. We have to show up for the thing that we're observing. 
We have to be present to the thing. To have a relationship, it can't be cursory. It can't be perfunctory. It can't be, oh, I know all about you. You know, now on with this. You know, I know what you're going to say. I've lived with you for 20 years. There's no relationship there. It requires showing up. Being present. And this meditation is really, starts, starts with the willingness to show up and have relationship. Have a relationship to life. No matter what its context, no matter what it's, it's, what it's, what's arising, no matter it's, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. It's not about deriving ever more pleasurable experiences, you know, in, in looking at life or trying to lean into the pleasant side of it. It's really the willingness to, to lay down your arms and trying to mask any pretension or add any confusion to what's here at all because there's this deep yearning for the truth that space provides. Let me just see it. Now, oftentimes when we start feeling or getting a sense of what that space is, I hear words like, wow, this is big. And we can get very frightened as we can with anything that we take on too soon and too quickly, it can frighten us. And space is no different. Space uh, can also create a sense of isolation, a sense of loneliness within it, being cut off from. And uh, much of, of, of how we have related to space has been that we have felt isolated or lonely within it, distant in some way. So that's not the space we're talking about, but we often bring that attitude of space to our inward spaciousness. We, we bring a conditioned uh, belief that this is going to create more loneliness for us, more distance. And we bring words like emptiness in, which really reinforce that belief. Emptiness feels very isolating to me. I don't know why I would go anywhere in which there was just emptiness. Seems I feel cut off, like stranded on a desert somewhere from that word, just for my own conditioning. I don't think it's the best word. It may work in the East, but it doesn't work in the West. But it's interesting um, that uh, animals, like I saw this experiment with rats, where they were given a choice on whether to go to a room that contained no rats or a chamber in which there were other rats. So, of course, rats being, I think, a social animal, went to the room where there were more rats. Well, that's fine, except at some point there were so many rats in the room where there were rats that the weight of the rats were killing the levels below them by just squashing them under their weight. And still the rats chose to go into that room and not the room where there weren't any. So sometimes we get so addicted to the need to be around people and the fear of being isolated in ourselves, cut off, that we will choose to move with that constant social reinforcement rather than to explore what space really offers. Space 
we may have to face loneliness as we move into this uh, dimension of space. But it is not the final frontier. Loneliness is just a simply a wave of our conditioning that we have to move through. There's much more to space. Much more, um, something much richer in there. So some of us, because many of us, no matter whether we're in the Dharma or not, have a sense that space is, we need to find it. (laughs) And so we try to find it through our opinions. We think that if we can be opinionated, somehow we'll create sufficient certainty and that certainty will give us the space of being able to settle with ourselves and that will allow us to have that inward space that we yearn for. And it doesn't take long to to feel the impoverishment of an, a mind full of ideas and opinions. And we again, we've come up um, lacking in that. Uh, it's a dead space. Space with ideas. In fact, it's not space at all. It's a very noisy space. And if we've ever met somebody that has a lot of opinions, you can feel that they're very t- they're in a very tight shell in themselves. Again, the weight of wanting to uncoil that shell, that binding, depends upon our willingness to risk because any frontier in space is certainly one of those is an unknown. Is an unknown. We don't know what's there. By definition, a frontier is unknown. And space is one that never holds definition. Because in order, it's a continuous frontier. It never allows us to arrive with an opinion within it. It never sets itself up to have a boundary because then it wouldn't be space. It would be limited, a limited distance between two things. So we must um, get a sense of how space is not held within thought and is going to risk. It's going to be a risk for us. Now, meditation is very much an ongoing exploration and widening of the space. And I'm sure you have felt that and however long you've been sitting, that there probably is a feeling inside of greater psychic space for you. You don't feel quite as tight or tense or or entrapped in your mind as you might have at one point. And this sense of having room to move now is really the intimation of a deeper level of freedom. And when we look around from the perspective of immediate um, experience, we see that space is really the given in our life. If we look around in the mind, we see nothing but space. In fact, we don't see anything concrete in there. It's all just phantoms, ghost-like projections moving across the screen. But if we just expand beyond that, you find the enormous reach an extension of psychic space available to us. And yet, when we're lost in thought, that chamber seems so narrow, doesn't it? It seems so contracted because the words keep us 
confined within a particular momentum and linear relationship to life. But when we relax those words, suddenly this psychic dimension and exchange, and maybe we'll do a guided meditation later in the retreat to get a sense of this expanse. And when we move our attention into the body, what seems so um, condensed and meaty and full of something really turns out not to be that at all. When we bring our attention into it, what we find by large amount is inward space, enormous space contained in the body. So wherever we look, we see that the materiality that we gave and projected upon the experience and upon the form really contains immateriality. Enormous amount of of, um, space and distance within it. Now, we also begin to understand as we learn about the nature of the egoic sense of me, the sense of self, the idea of oneself. Remember that what we're talking about here is not demolishing you as a human being. We are simply releasing the idea of us being separate. That's all meditation ever tries to do. You would think it would be so easy, wouldn't you? It's an idea we carry with us, not the truth. But we have configured our life in, a, in that, and we've confiscated and configured our life in terms of that idea. And so, though it is just an idea, it holds so much value to us that we loathe giving it up. And yet, when we give it up, in those moments in which we allow that sense of self to, to recede in its dominance, what, is, what arrives but this tremendous sense of space? Tremendous sense of space. And then, because there's a remnant of me and a fear reaction to that sense of space, we, we coil back around, react to that sense of space as being threatening because of our conditioning and isolation and all of that. And we think, oh, that's too big for me. For me, I can't exist in that. It's too big for me to survive. Well, whoever asked you in? (laughs) Much richer place if we just let that idea go. Or just to see it as an idea. We aren't going to be able to ever let the idea go until we realize that it's only an idea. And then you can easily let it go. It's It's not a problem any longer. But as long as you believe there's something true to that, some form that is truly implicated when you say I, then uh, you're not going to let it go because you're going to threaten that entity. And that entity wants its and needs its protection. But when it's seen as just a thought in the mind, just a limitation of view, just a limitation of the great expanse that is available, it can be let go very easily. What we find is that when that sense of self is in its reactive mode, when it's concerned or worried or embattled, that tight, the, the drawstrings of the circle of space gets very narrow, very tight. And that center 
when it feels more relaxed, more at ease, the drawstrings expand. And we feel as if the center to the, the radius to the center to the circumference gets larger, gets more reasonable. And so we seek, as I mentioned, locations, people, ideas, techniques, forms, meditations that allow those drawstrings or encourage those drawstrings to expand outward. So we have a sense of ourselves having more space. However, as long as there is a center, your space is going to be limited by the radius. There's going to be a circumference if there's a center. So there's going to be a distance. Your space is always going to be measurable. It's going to be this compared to that. Well, I was better off yesterday and uh, on and on. That practice was better for me because. Not until we eliminate the center does the whole thing open up into the infinite. As long as there is a measuring point, there cannot be infinite because infinity is not measured. It's not measurable. And so we have to, in some ways, release this center, the focus of the center in order for this space to be known in all of its glory and amplitude. So there are a few things that I want to encourage at this level of the retreat, at this time. I know that the first night is not the night in which you are most keenly aware of what I'm saying. (laughs) So I'm trying to hold down my enthusiasm for what I would like to say. And um, and the, and just put this into this sense of space into very easily digestible segments here. And the first thing I would suggest for us in being able to find space is being able to bring to essentially leave everything alone to be what it is. Right? When we weigh in, when we have a reaction to something, when we're afraid of something, when we're Uh, in a contracted mode to something, then that obviously has direct implications to the space we have with that. And one of the reasons there's value to the repetition of seeing the mind again and again and again is that by the observation of it, if we are willing to observe it, not just pass it off as something I've seen many times before, but actually to recommit to seeing what is there, it takes a level of charge off of it each time we do see it. There's not the same reactivity, the same fear, the same contraction. And suddenly we allow things to be seen for themselves as themselves. A thought is just a thought. An emotion is just an emotion. A sensation is just a sensation. Nothing added to it whatsoever. And then it's the walls the defensive walls come down. And suddenly, it's just uh, open space there. Because as we begin to really perceive and look and see what something is, we open to its space. We open to the fact that it is and contains space. What we thought was so real, what we thought was so true, what we thought was so condensed and solid, opens. And all things by nature must, when we are not reacting to them, show us, show us their expanse. 
show us their their true nature of expansion. And we learn that no matter what we may be frightened of, if we're willing to go into that difficult, and if we're willing to settle there, relax with it, without investing it with any further story and narrative and background opinion, that must open. It must open through our courage to stay steady within it. It must open to its original nature. And what we're in the business of doing here is opening all things to that space. Opening up all things beyond the boundaries that we have imposed upon them so that we can see them without boundaries and therefore infinite in all dimensions. You know, we, but early on in the meditation we try to do is to create distance from something by being detached to it. And that's really not the meditation at all. It's our mentalizing, trying to create a mental distance. Well, distance is not space. There's a tension to that distance. There's an aversion to that distance. There's a way that that holds and confines both the person who is detached and the object that we are detaching from. They're in mutual they're mutually enslaved to one another. And if we push away anything, then that thing jails us, imprisons us to itself. And we learn that. And we learn that. So we learn that attachment eliminates space and we learn that detachment only creates distance but doesn't give us space. And that the way is not attachment or detachment, but non-attachment. And when we're non-attached, the relationship is essentially um, understood completely. And then there is great space, infinite space, but not in attachment and not in detachment. The second suggestion I would have for improving our inward space is to loosen our preoccupation with thingness, with things. And much of Buddhism, much of the Buddhism and how we've been practicing it is to do just that. It's to show us that the nature of reality is not dependable, that that things of the world, the physicality, the forms and expressions of the world are not dependable. You can't rely on them. They break. They change. They decay. And hopefully the point is that if we see that often enough, we will release the need to have to keep forming things by our mind. Because our mind is what forms things. We don't turn away from the world. We stop forming things from our mind. That's the point. If we think things lie outside of us, then we will turn away from the world and be, um, I don't know, be recluse in the worst sense of that word. It's not about turning away from the world. 
It's about realizing that how the mind creates the things of the world and invests through its internal monologue into the objects of the world, creating those objects to mean something for us. And as soon as we do that, they're in a state of decay and flux and movement. Because why? Because the mind can't hold the thought. And therefore, the movement of thought drifts on, other things move on, and so does that. But, when we understand that, we can dance among the things of the world without depending upon them. And no longer do things in the world isolate themselves from the space that are next to them, that surround them. Mostly what we see are objects. We don't see the space that holds those objects. We don't even look for the space that holds those objects. We look for the object itself. A person, the sense of, of the egoic sense of person creates things because the person is a thing that, and to hold, to maintain its thingness, it has to see things. It mutually reinforces itself. To see things creates it as a thing. And so that's why we focus in on the forms of life rather than the entirety of life. To focus in on the entirety, the whole of life, we have to release the need to be someone and to be a whole, wholly ourselves is very different than to be a person and to make a person out of ourselves. And so we begin to get a sense here that we really do need to come to the end of this constant grasping at the world of form. That it dies. And there, I, mean, I mean, Buddhism tries to make inroads in that in countless ways. It talks about death and dying. It talks about anicca and impermanence. It, talks about the unsatisfactory quality. It talks, about, it talks about it a thousand different ways. The unreliable, no guarantees, all of that. To get us to release, release the investment we have in making something a thing. That's all. And when we do that, what we fall back into is space. It's like a, a drop falling back into the pond. Thirdly, one of the suggestions I would have if space is attractive to you, if it's something that you feel a direction for your practice, the third thing I would suggest doing is to learn how space is created through relaxation and non-resistance. That when we don't struggle, there is space. And when we do struggle, there is the loss of space, there is contraction. If we just get that windshield wiper effect, we will begin to, a light bulb will go off and say, oh, struggling, contraction, uh, shadow boxing, uh, tension, relaxation, space, breath, expanse, lack of tension. 
So that, that just get a, get a sense of how that goes back and forth in our life and what we are doing internally that's constantly creating the contraction and what we do when we, when we become expansive, the release of that. We have to know, we have to get a feeling tactily, tactily, for what, what kind of life we want. Do we want a life of contraction or do we want a life of expansion? If so, then we need to know what formulates the life of contraction. Theories are not good enough here. It is not good enough to know the Four Noble Truths and to spout them and give yourself Dharma talks while you are reacting to things around you. We have to put this into a direct learning application where wisdom sees. We see what we're doing. We see it. Oh, God, what am I doing that for anymore? Why do I need? I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. To get a sense of that in ourselves. And to get a sense that always what you push away will own you. And finally, to realize the space that love brings. The space that is love. Because when we're talking about space, we're also talking about awareness. Those are not two separate. This is an empty space. This is an alive space, a vital space. This is the space of vitality and aliveness and love. And so, when we give something space, it's because we love that thing. It's not a it's not a, a negotiated agreement. It's because there is genuine affection, caring. And when there is caring, there isn't a... We aren't riding the back of the thing we're caring about. We relax with it. We let it be itself. We let it show and express itself. We let it move in the way it moves. We let it learn its lessons without trying to impose our teaching upon it. Because each of us need that more than anything. And we need that in ourselves. We need that focus for ourselves. We need to love ourselves. And as we begin to hold that deep abiding affection. The boundaries come down. The walls begin to decay. And there is this genuine appreciation for being who and what we are. And the, f- the more love, the fewer the boundaries. The fewer the boundaries, the more there is play. The tighter the constriction, the less there is love, relationship. There's fear, worry, other things that we try to convince us have some love in them. And there is a tension associated with that relationship. Now I'm going to take you a step out. So please wake yourself up.
Because all of this has to do with something much bigger. The expanse that I'm directing ourselves to is not the world of objects nor the world of the space between objects. It's that which sees all things but is not what is seen. And for us to be able to access that level of space needs a directive from us, most of us. What sees out of my eyes? What sees out of these eyes? Not what do I see, but what allows seeing to take place? What allows hearing? What allows the sense doors to be known? That's the space beyond all space. That's the dimension that all of this is pointing to. And we can do that for ourselves just by looking, not getting so lost in the expression of yourself, in the form that you're taking, in the emotion you're having, in the story you're telling yourself. But what knows the story? What hears the story? So we allow the space, the awareness that informs, that holds the intelligence to know what is passing through it, that becomes the area of interest. And so this sense of space, this inward sense of space, this inward sense of space accompanying relaxation, accompanying allowance, accompanying our observation, this release of tension, in life. From day one we start feeling happier. From day one we have more play in our life. From day one we have more humor. From day one we have a greater degree of space. Don't become tight. Don't bring, don't feel that you're, that if you get too self-driven you'll lose the space but your mind will capture the thought that you're really moving somewhere. Moving somewhere is the loss of space. If space means nothing to you, then you can drive yourself forever. But if we sense that space holds the very goal we seek, then we will align our practice towards greater space. And we will do everything that encourages that dimension. Thank you all for your attention tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.